Hello and welcome to this episode of A Give Peace a Chance. I am your host, Nishina Mohammed. Thank you for joining me. My guest today is Rabbi Ron Cronish, who is based in Jerusalem in Israel. He is an interreligious peace builder, writer, blogger, and he is an educator. Rabbi, thank you so much for joining me. There's so much to talk about, so I really do appreciate your time. There's a sense of hysteria in many parts of the world, including here in South Africa, following that tragic 11-day war, which has thankfully ended. Now, you wrote an interesting blog that was published called, uh, basically, you said that both sides were responsible. So please enlighten us on your views in terms of the sense that you make out of this latest round of violence exchange between Israel and Palestinians. Okay, well, um, I'm, I'm pleased to be with you again and to share some thoughts with you. Um, I, I, I understand the hysteria in many parts of the world and, and here as well, and I think part of the hysteria comes from people only hearing one narrative. Uh, so people uh, tend to put all blame on the other side uh, without seeing the full picture. And in the uh, blog post I published yesterday on my Times of Israel blog, I tried to explain that in my view, both sides are at fault uh, in this conflict and they continue to be at fault. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, we're, uh, we have bad leadership on both sides who seem to prefer war and violence than, 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 than peace talks and, and arrangements uh, which would be better for the health of both peoples. So. Uh, I, I, I think the Hamas uh, leadership in Gaza, uh, which now, uh, in, in this particular case, uh, uh, factually launched the first rockets on Jerusalem uh, 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 to, to start this uh, escalation, uh, knew what they were doing and knew that this would bring a, a harsh response, which I think is personally too harsh, but they knew it was going to happen. And I don't think they... Uh, made a smart decision doing this. Uh, and I think the Israeli uh, reaction uh, was, as usual, uh, overreaction, uh, what the world calls disproportional, which is why there's so unhappiness. But I, I don't think it's fair to say that one side has all the blame. Sure. I'm sure a lot of people will not be happy hearing you, you saying that because they still want to be right and okay. try to be uh, you know, the winning side here. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think both sides lost the war. There's no winning yeah, side. Both sides are claiming victory as well. Uh, how? What do you make of um, the decisive action taken by this U.S. administration? I know that you were very critical of Donald Trump uh, previously. Uh, what is your position on how this new incoming U.S. administration has handled that, uh, in terms of also? Playing a decisive role, according to the media, to ensure that the ceasefire does hold. Uh, well, I uh, have lived in Israel for 42 years, but I'm a dual citizen. I'm also American citizen, so I voted for President Biden, and I'm very happy we have a normal person now back in the White House. Um, and I'm uh, thrilled that uh, Biden, the Biden administration, got involved at the end. Uh, in, in helping uh, create the ceasefire. I wish that it happened five days earlier, but uh, these things sometimes take time because they're complicated. Uh, but I'm very happy that Biden is back in, in the game and that his Secretary of State 
is here uh, in the region and trying to uh, create not only quiet, but some arrangements where, where we can have a kind of long-lasting truce, which I think would be in the interest of both sides. It's true, I was critical for many years, as were many other people of the previous president, whose name I don't like to mention, in America. And I'm thrilled we have a, 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 you know, a, a normal president who spent 35 years in the Congress, who knows what he's doing uh, uh, back willy-nilly in helping us deal with, uh, with uh, our situation. I don't know if you saw it, but in the International New York Times uh, two days ago, and I quoted it in my post, Tom Friedman, the foreign policy uh, uh, columnist, wrote that maybe this is a moment. Uh, he called it a Kissinger moment where uh, the sides can get together and try to think a little more creatively uh, out of the box and instead of just, you know, one war and then the next war and a few months of quiet or a few years and the next war and, and, and think that there are other solutions to our conflict other than force, whether it's state terror or, or organizational terror. Sure. Um, I think uh, the U.S. Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken, was also, uh, you know, uh, I think he was a realist in terms of how he's, he's handling it on this ground, uh, because he did say that, uh, you know, the first victory is really to, to, to have the ceasefire and to have a long a long term commitment to a ceasefire and to negotiate around that. And, you know, the two sides are still far off from resuming peace talks as well. Um, as a peace activist, do you think that, you know, there is still hope for the revival of the Oslo Accord? So I, as a peace activist and as a religious person, there is always hope. Uh, anybody who says uh, that we'll never have an agreement doesn't know about what happened in South Africa or in Northern Ireland, where people thought, you know, uh, the situation there would go on forever. Um, agreements do happen in different conflicts at different times with different leaders. So yes, there is some hope in the air right now. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken and Biden are, are reviving talk about the two-state solution, which I believe is the only uh, fair and just solution for both sides. Uh, and there's always hope, uh, but there are many obstacles and challenges along the way, and many people who are anti-peace, uh, who used to be on the fringes and are now are more in the center of both societies. So we need, uh, as I argue in my end of my blog post, we need different leadership, including on the Hamas side. I mean, the Hamas decision by the military wings to launch this, uh, this, their rockets again was not a good decision for their people. There were voices in Hamas in the past which called for a hudna. A hudna is Arabic for a long-term truce. We need to hear those voices again. And the Hamas like many uh, organizations, has its military wing and its political wing. There are different voices there, and they need to have uh, to come to some uh, uh, reasonable thinking about what's needed to rebuild their country. Uh, uh, and it's a complicated process, but uh, we need to hear voices from their side, and we will need voices from the Israeli side. The, the current administration uh, is not one of those voices, to put it mildly. So I'm still hopeful that we can get a new one, maybe soon, maybe next week. Yeah. You know, so we, we try to keep hope alive here. Sure, it's I mean, art. 
this is this is life in Israel. This is this is life in in, in Jerusalem. You know, you could face an eruption of violence. You know, yes. arguments and these disagreements. It's really sad that erupts into a full scale war. Could this have been avoided? Could this eleven day war have been avoided? Uh, I mean, yes, could be, absolutely could have been avoided. It, it could have been avoided by rational thinking of the leaders on both sides instead of emotional, irrational thinking. And there were mistakes made on both sides, I believe. The Israeli administration overreacted during Ramadan, no question about it. And, that, and if you read the press here, you know that many people thought that they made many mistakes during Ramadan, including going into the Temple Mount, to, into the mosque with grenades. There was a little too much force. There was too much force in Sheikh Jarrah. There were many mistakes made. It could have been avoided from the Israeli side. It could have been avoided from the Hamas side, too, because, uh, you know, uh, you know, many people said here that neither side wanted this confrontation. It's really not good for anybody, uh, which is true. It, you know, this is the fourth uh, war, and in the end, we're in the same place. You have to keep in mind that uh, Hamas spends a lot of money, uh, which they get from Qatar and Iran, on building uh, arms industries and uh, shooting missiles, and they got thousands more missiles around. So, so uh, it's not like uh, the fight is between innocent Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts <laughs> and the Israeli Air Force. This is an organization which is uh, geared up militarily and, and, and seeks to continually have uh, military confrontations, which they cannot win militarily. It's obviously an asymmetrical battle. And therefore, uh, I, I don't think the, the leaders of the Hamas people took the best decisions for their own people, okay? Uh, if you were a person living in Gaza, uh, you know, you might be thinking about you know, if your house was destroyed and if you're one of 70,000 people who are now internal refugees, you might be wondering who's, whose fault is it? Is it the Israelis? Yes. Is the Hamas also true? Because they launched this war that they can't win and we know that we're going to get bombed. So that's what I'm trying to say. There are problems on both sides and both, both peoples are suffering from bad leadership, which uh, uh, because of, I think, internal things in their own societies. Uh, here's some good I, suppose, I suppose, I suppose, Rabbi, you know, you're based in Jerusalem, you're an Israeli, you have dual citizenship, you're an Israeli citizen. And I, I've been engaging uh, with, with peace activists, my friends in, in Israel and in Palestine as well, about, you know, while yes. the war was still ongoing. And uh, it's like an every, it's, it's like a normal expected occurrence that you are expecting every now and then to happen this this conflict and this violence but for us sitting here oh, as I, I, other parts of the world the hysteria is around first of all you see the violence in, in al-aqsa that took place in the compound yes. and, and you fasting in the middle of ramadan and as a peace builder and a peace activist always talk about empathy and bringing in the humanistic how important it is not to dehumanize the other and to also bring in the humanistic right approach to the conflict. So the humanistic approach to the conflict around the hysteria is that people are sitting in their homes, they are fasting, they are praying, they're looking forward to Eid, and they see worshippers in the mosque come under attack by soldiers. For me, honest, to be quite honest, for me, it was like a terror. It looked like a terror attack taking place inside a place of worship, inside a mosque. And, and this is really also partly responsible. Uh, that violence and that brutal force 
um, used by the, the police, I think is also responsible for the hysteria that, that, it, that we are seeing in many parts of the world and the anger around the religious dimension of the conflict now is also brought into the spotlight about having a, a Jewish temple or having uh, the Al-Aqsa Al Mosque. So there's so many arguments that have come to the fore as a, as a so I, I'd like to respond to what you're saying, and I think part of the problem here is that people, particularly with social media, are seeing images that reflects only one narrative, okay? And they don't get the full picture of, of the complexity of our situation here. That's part one. The part two is that for the most part, Many of much of the uh, let's say demonstrations that you saw in Jeff Jarrah or or in uh, or on Temple Mount uh, were a mixture of people. Some people were there because they were just there to pray and innocent civilians, and other people were there, according to various media reports and photos that are uh, circulated on the news. Uh, people came with rocks and boulders and, and, and Molotov cocktails and they didn't only come to pray so you may not have seen those pictures because you know that narrative doesn't come out on one side so it's a mixed story and therefore one has to do their best to hear both narratives and, and get the full view of the situation uh you you asked me what is the the, the truth of the of the reports that Hamas uh, activists were also there on Temple Mount or in Sheikh Jarrah or in other parts of the West Bank. Mm -hmm. uh, the answer is yes, they were there also, according to most news reports, uh, because the elections in Palestine were canceled, right? The Hamas people were unhappy and uh, they have, they were going to probably win the election. So they were out there also uh, aggravating tension. So what you have here, and what you continue to have, is you have extremists on both sides operating against against the best interests of the moderate majorities. Okay, it's not like all of Jerusalem was up in flames. A few blocks in Sheikh Jarrah and Temple Mount was was you understand know, where were the two sources of this. So the headlines in the headlines in the Times of Israel was Jerusalem is on fire. Right, I understand, but you know, I, I mean, I remember hearing stories of Beirut was on fire. Only parts of Beirut are on fire. You know, three streets are on fire. It's not like my neighborhood is on fire or most of Jerusalem is not on fire. And, and now, okay, and now after the war has ended, thank God, uh, not all the problems have been solved, but the amount of tension has gone way down. So you saying okay. there's a lot of truth in what has come out in, in the media that Hamas is responsible for this, that it was a deliberate attempt because- I think partially responsible. I, didn't say, look, I don't put all the responsibility. I think according to reports that I read in the media, and some of them you have to take with a grain of salt, uh, I think Hamas is out there also instigating part of this violence. Hamas and, and, and what their position is politically regarding this conflict? Well, Hamas is a, you know, Hamas is considered by the U.S. and other countries and, and the world as a fundamentalist, uh, basically terrorist organization who does not recognize 
the right of the state of Israel to exist, unlike the Fatah people in, in Ramallah. And according to their charter and according to what they say, uh, they would like the state of Israel to uh, be demolished. Now, that's a lot of uh, talk because they're not going to demolish the state of Israel with a few rockets, but they are going to cause a lot of fear and, and concern when rockets are shot all over the country in Tel Aviv and in the south, and thousands or hundreds are shot at a time. So we're dealing with with this asymmetric problem. Uh, but as I've always said, uh, terrorist groups, even though they're small and they don't have air forces, they have the weapon of terror. Right? They have a weapon now of not suicide bombs, but rockets that can hit your home in Tel Aviv or or when the rockets were rained at Jerusalem the first day, I was in with my grandchildren. We had to go into a, a safe room for a few minutes. It was, everybody was, you know, uh, very scared. So it's. I agree it's not symmetrical. And I agree that Israel did too much uh, damage, and uh, which is not necessary because we don't get anything from this. If, we, if it really won the war and put an end to the Hamas military, then I might understand it. You understand what I mean? But since it doesn't, it just creates more anger. <laughs> uh, so I think. Why, why was to, the Palestinian elections postponed? Please share with, share that with us. Why was the Palestinian elections? There are different answers to that. It depends who you ask. The official answer, or I would say, the official excuse given by Mr. Abbas was that because because um, they, the Israeli government wasn't going to allow Palestinians in Jerusalem to vote, uh, they didn't think that was fair to the Palestinian people, and that's why he said he canceled the election. The unofficial reason is that the security forces of the United States and Israel allegedly told Mr. Abbas look out, the Hamas is going to win like they won in Gaza, and then we'll have Gaza in the West Bank. Uh-oh, that looks bad for security. So cancel the election. I mean, he's canceled elections many, many times. Mr. Abbas has been in, in power 14 years. <laughs> okay, I think he was elected for only a few. So when he's not... The, when the elections, we're talking about it was predicted that there was going to be another postponement. Yes, so uh, it's it, it's been a style of postponement. So it's not only him is what I'm trying to tell you. It was him in America and, uh, and and Israel and the worry, the security people. I'm not a security person, but I tell you what I hear, are worried that if the West Bank would become like Gaza, then we'd have a really a doubly violent conflict yes. around here. So people the people who wanted to prevent that as it were so that's part of the reason in any event it got some palestinians angry and it certainly apparently got some hamas people angry you know there are a, there are hamas uh, activists all over the west bank they were prepared to run in elections and probably win so all i'm trying to say here is that this this uh conflict at the moment which is often portrayed as David and Goliath, right? Where Israel's the Goliath now against uh, innocent Palestinians who were just going to pray 
uh, whether in their mosque in, in Jerusalem, is not an accurate portrayal of the situation. The more accurate portrayal of the situation is you have two societies uh, who are struggling. And the extremists, I believe, in both societies have the upper hand. If you were to talk to my friend, I know you've talked to him before, Professor Dijani, a Palestinian yes. moderate, he would say exactly the same thing. I've heard him say it many times. Okay, two of the extremists, so the, the Hamas is, unlike the PA in, in, in the Palestinian Authority who wants to have cooperation with Israel and has security cooperation and would like to enter into some peace talks, um, the, the Hamas folks are avoiding peace talks and therefore any, any, any ceasefire, any peace agreement at the moment has to be done to other international mediaries, right? Egyptians, Americans, okay? So I think that needs to change. Uh, there was one uh, former military commentator on the news in Israel last week who said, we need to recognize that Hamas is not just a so-called terrorist organization, but it's, it's a mini state. It's running, it's gotta provide electricity and water and education and hospitals for, the, for their uh, two million plus people there. So I think new thinking has to be done by the diplomat, the diplomatic community, the international community to work towards a diplomatic solution, a peace solution, not a war solution. Another war in, in six months or six years will not get anybody anywhere. Yeah. So, I, and I think we need some, some bold initiatives. For example, I argued in a piece I wrote a few weeks ago that I think it would have been a good idea, and it's still a good idea, if Israel, the state of Israel, which has lots of extra vaccines in their warehouses, would offer to vaccinate everybody in the, in the West Bank and Gaza. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Yeah, I mean, it would, be, it, it would be a good humanitarian gesture. It'd be the right thing to do, the moral thing to do, and it's also in the self-interest of Israel to do it. Sure. So I, why don't we do that? I God, God knows why. I don't know why. We should have done it a long time ago. I was having a healthy debate with a friend of mine who's Jewish here in South Africa. And look, I, I shared my honest sentiment that in terms of, and like Professor Dijani always points out, they need to also consider the symmetry of power. I do feel honestly, and I'm sorry to say that, but I do think that Israel sh could do a lot more to inspire peace because we are having, we're hearing uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu give these big speeches about wanting peace in the Middle East and wanting to broaden, broaden the circle of peace. And I support that. And I, and I also do uh, support the, the value of, 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 you know, in, endorsing uh, uh, Accords like the Abraham Accord in, in good faith that shares this vision, this common vision for the three Abrahamic faiths to coexist peacefully. But why not do a little bit more for your neighbors? And why not just initiate some, like you're saying, some humanitarian, more humanitarian gestures? That, that, that's my honest argument. Because you have more power, you have a, a greater military might, you're economically better off than your neighbors, and you are still the occupier. So, so that's my argument. Yeah. What do you think about it? I, I agree with you. I, I, we agree on this point. I think it would be in, in, in Israel's interest as a moral country to 
uh, offer humanitarian aid to offer vaccines to people as well in the West Bank to show a different face. Now, that said, uh, I must be candid uh, because uh, I, as a citizen here, have a problem with our current leadership, okay? Unfortunately, our current leadership, for a variety of reasons, internal and external, is not interested in peace, okay? It's a right-wing, anti-peace government. And until we get a new government and get this, this particular prime minister who's been there for 12 years out, we're not going to have the kind of humanitarian gestures that you and I are talking about right now. Uh, it's, it has to do with who he thinks is his voter base and what they want. It has to do with a rise in the nationalism and extremist nationalism, which is very anti the other. So we need a change there. Our current leadership, unfortunately, is not what it was 10 or 15 years ago. Is it certainly not what it was. Is it correct to say that none of the right-wing parties support a two-state solution in terms of their political mandate? They rather support annexations and settlement expansion. Because I looked at some of the political mandates of the party, and that was what I saw that, that was highlighted. So correct me if I'm wrong. Well, at the moment, we don't really know. There's been a, in the past, some of the right-wing parties, including the Likud of 10, 15 years ago, were in favor of a two-state solution with lots and lots of conditions. In general, the right-wing has said now that we need a new government without Netanyahu, without the extremists, and without the, uh, the uh, ultra-Orthodox, which would have more moderate sane parties, but up until now, they haven't said anything about peace and not peace. They were saying until last month that we'll talk about that later. Right now, we have to finish the corona epidemic, fix our economy, and these kinds of things. And we need to make uh, but, Arab and Muslim neighbors, but not with Palestine. But that has now changed because of this futile unnecessary mini war of 11 days, the Palestinian question, the question of the Palestinian conflict is now back on the agenda here, as it is in America, and probably in other places in the world. And we will see if anything new can happen diplomatically. And then is a question of various pressures put by various people. So I come back to my point when you asked me, about the two-state solution. Uh, I'm happy that it's back on the agenda of the American government and others. I think it's the best and the fairest of the solutions. It's better than the so-called one-state solution, I think, because the one-state solution won't happen. And if it does happen, it won't be fair to either side. So I think it's the best idea. And I hope that the diplomatic community and the religious community and various people can now make an, a renewed push for that. I know it won't be simple, okay? It may be very difficult, but I'm glad that there is a change now in talk, in discussion, as a result of this unnecessary war. Okay? Sure. And I hope it will lead us uh, to some new paths of diplomacy. You know, diplomacy is a tricky, uh, a tricky uh, 
act to do because uh, the parties have been at loggerheads for so long. But when you get good uh, diplomats, uh, things can happen. You know, we did have a peace agreement in Northern Ireland in 1998 when we never thought such a thing would happen. We did have the end of apartheid in South Africa when they had people back then, they said, oh, no, no, it'll never happen. So it, it can happen here too. We just need more people to work on it. I agree with and you. People to believe in it. There's one point I do I, I do agree with when we referring back to your blog that both sides are to blame. I think in terms of accountability accountability, both sides need to accept accountability because like you said, this war could have been avoided. Yeah. Oh, time yeah. is running out. I know you have another commitment, but just one last question very quickly regarding this whole religious debate now that's taking place on social media around whether Al-Aqsa whether a temple, a Jewish temple, should replace the Al-Aqsa Mosque. How do you deal with this as an okay. religious okay. people? All right. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question, because it's an important question. A few things I want to say about that. First of all, I think for the Muslim world, you should know that Al-Aqsa is not really in any danger. There is no desire on the part of the Israel government, the army, anybody else, except in the mind of a few crazy extremists who would like to cause trouble and, and maybe place bonds there. But in a general sense, there is no danger to Al-Aqsa. And, and the uh, Israel government is happy to have Al-Aqsa there uh, and freedom of worship and all that it, it is not really the issue. The, the issue is, are there some extremists who say it's either ours or yours? Yes. Okay, and there's some Jewish extremists on the far, far right who go up to Temple Mount and want to go up there and want to say, this should be only ours. And there are people on the other side, this should be only ours. And I believe that in the end of days or in the future, it should be our everybody's. And Jerusalem has to be a city of shared faith where the, the, the Jews and the Muslims and the Christians can all live uh, in some form of coexistence and pray at their holy sites uh, without anybody causing anybody else trouble. And this is not an impossible dream, in my opinion. I couldn't agree with you more. That is more palatable. And, and, and that's always been my position as well, that why can't we all just enjoy this, you know, just holy place that's holy to all of us and mutually come to some kind of agreement to preserve it in the best interest of both the Jewish and the Muslim faith. So whoever wants to, to, to visit it should be free to visit it and pray if they want to pray there. So I totally agree with you. And thank you so much for your time. Our time is up. I'm keeping- It's always good to be with you, to see you. It's wonderful to see and you. And I thank you for your initiative for Give Peace a Chance because it's important to believe in it. I do believe in it. And I do believe in the work that you're doing there as well, Rabbi, and the other peace activists that have committed uh, a lot of their time to peace building. So on that wonderful note, on uh, in, when it comes to ending this, this, discuss, this discussion, we leave it with Jerusalem, that it can be enjoyed for all. Shalom to you, and uh, I wish you a wonderful Thank Shalom. you. I look forward to engaging again. Thank you.